Welcome to this series of podcasts for FinTech CTO Club, a community where tech executives learn and share best leadership practices. Here, Vasil Soloschuk, CEO of Insart and the author of FinTech CTO Club, will discuss burning topics on the FinTech product development arena with the technical leaders in the industry. This is episode 12 of our podcast. Our guest today is Rich Romano, CTO at Fiduciary Exchange, or simply FIDEX, a technology-empowered network that seamlessly integrates brokerage, insurance, and advisory ecosystems. Let's start. So my very first question is, uh, so could you please introduce yourself and uh, tell us about your background, specifically in uh, fintech and wealth management, and what's your current role? Sure. So Rich Romano. So I'm currently the CTO at uh, FIDEX. Um, I'm also responsible for platform strategy. Um, so if I go way back, I've always had a, uh, always had a passion for technology. I was one of those uh, kids in, in eighth grade that was, you know, I, I first learned how to, how to do code on an Apple IIe in, uh, in middle school. And from there, um, you know, actually focused more on tours of the mathematics sides of things. So I came out of college with an ac- a, a degrees in economics and actuarial science. And I started getting involved in, uh, in the actuarial side of things, doing product development, product pricing. I worked in, uh, you know, at the carrier level, I worked in the consulting space. And then I started to migrate into the system side of things where I quickly started working on pricing systems, on reserving systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I, I started to move into, and that was all, once again, primarily all the focus has been on life and annuities uh, and, uh, at this point. And then I, I took a job working with a firm that developed uh, policy admin platforms and really loved the interaction with clients, building out platforms, doing large implementations and large conversions, because you got to see the whole purview of everything that happened, everything from front office interactions to home office interactions to back office interactions and and really the importance of technology and how technology was was enabling process and uh, over those the the years you realize there was a lot of examples of where technology enabled bad process right people tried to just fit let's go find something to 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 enable what we do today versus let's figure out what we should be doing and then pick technology so you know, as process re-engineering became big in the industry, I, I uh, you know, took the surfboard and jumped on that one as well. And then uh, for uh, for about 10 years, I also ran a capital markets practice in <clears throat> in Manhattan, where I was responsible nationally for insurance as well as for financial services, working in investment banking, buy side, sell side with the, the who's who of Wall Street. All right. So thank you very much for uh, uh, for telling us about your background. And uh, my next question is, uh, you know, you had, uh, you know, during your uh, career, you uh, had a number of different roles, and at the moment, you're in the role of chief technology officer. And the question is, so what uh, what do you see the main challenges uh, for you as a technology leader of the company at the moment? So what are the main problems, challenges that you are trying to solve? Sure. So, so I think the, uh, the, 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 having had, in time, I went a little bit deep on my background is because I, the, the industry, if you look at the insurance industry, it's mm-hmm. very siloed. It's very siloed. So if you look at solutions, they're point oriented. There's solutions for 
new business like illustrations. There's solutions for product research. There's solutions for placing apps. There's solutions for transactions. And I've always sat back and said, there's got, you need to be able to pull this together. So, you know, the, the, the challenge that I think that we're out there conquering is, is putting together a seamless life cycle. So thinking about who's, who's my, what's the input into my process and who's my downstream consumer. So we look at it from a full life cycle, the ability to look and finalize and, you know, find a client's need and let that process then from a technology seamlessly connect those dots. So, Whereas I find, you know, if you think of it as a, a, a string that's got a bunch of knots in it, we pull that straight and we make a singular process that allows you to continue to build on every step you just did. So mm-hmm. reduce the amount of data entry, do, build, you know, enter once, build upon that, take the existing information from a proposal and then initiate the account placement from that. Take mm-hmm. daily data so that now it's on the same basis as, as equities and, you know, other market-based instruments so that... Mm-hmm. The advisor, the insurance fits into the, the way the advisor does business. So once again, what's the process? It's the way the advisor works with their client. What technology do we build? We build technology to fit insurance and annuities into that process. So mm-hmm. the challenge has really been trying to, to get everything into there. You know, and I think that is the thing that we're out there and we bring to market, which is, is, has never been done before. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, um, in relation to this question, so do you see that, uh, I mean, what are the main differences between the role of CTO and probably the other roles in different types of companies? Uh, uh, so, because you, you, you worked in uh, like bigger companies and smaller uh, yeah. as a technology leader. So, what, what do you see like maybe the main, ch- uh, the main difference of, uh, of the roles? Yep. Yeah. So, so if you look at, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, our organization, a CTO uh, in our organization has to be a hands-on leader. So it's not about, you know, creating metrics for the board. It's not about, uh, you know, looking at ERP systems and where staff is. It's not about trying to coordinate, uh, you know, with vendors. It's about getting down into it and taking all the experience you've learned and leading. So the ability to go to go through and, and look at Azure and look at uh, Amazon Web Services, determine where you where you think the hosting is. It's the hands-on development of your cybersecurity policy and all the do's and don'ts. It's the you know it's it's the right sizing of the organization and making sure that what you're putting in as a foundation is highly extensible from a resource perspective, from a technology perspective, and from a business perspective, because the last thing you want to do is build something that immediately creates technology debt that you've got to re-architect in another year. So from my perspective that, you know, you, you go from, you know, a very suit and tie level inside of a Fortune 50 and 100 company with that CTO where you're doing more, uh, you know, management type reporting versus here it's really you're building the business to make sure that it, it's going to continually build upon its successes and that you've got the right technology and the right resources to cover all those aspects. So it's a much more hands-on leadership driven uh, environment in, in a smaller environment compared to the, to the big one. So the problems you face come at you from every direction. It's from, uh, you know, new large requirements. It's dealing and managing vendors uh, and the integration methods, it's dealing with clients where they might have issues, and it's really building everything from scratch. So, uh, you know, you not only have to build the blueprint, but you've got to then manage the, that, the building of that, that building to make sure that 
it's not going to collapse upon itself. Okay. Yes. Thank you. It really makes sense. And uh, so my other question is, uh, l let's discuss uh, the current product that you built. And uh, so could you please name the major, uh, uh, the the, ma the major problems uh, that you 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 solve for your clients, and what are the major uh, features and parts of the system uh, of uh, Fidex? Sure. So, so the 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 solution, right, is to be the one point to where there's allows an advisor to facilitate their clients' needs. Mm -hmm. and the selection of the right product for that client, the insurance product for that client, and then the ability to open and then actively manage that product inside of the wealth management advisory uh, platform. So it's really to be the connective tissue between the carriers and the wealth management platforms in order for an advisor to, to, to be able to effectively offer insurance products for their clients' needs and to be able to manage those on, a, on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. So that to me is the is the the largest problem, right? It's it's classically mm -hmm. I like to define it as the swivel chair, right? So it's it's getting taking out multiple system interactions, multiple reentry of data, and then also the hmm, where is this thing today? Maybe the client did something I don't know, right? Clear visibility on a daily basis into that insurance product. All right, all right. Uh, so another question is. Um, uh, so we have uh, actually we have researched the Wellstack uh, market pretty well uh, because we run also the Wellstack uh, club, and they've done something like uh, 100 interviews with the uh, with the technology companies who provide the technologies for wealth management, and also some of them are our clients. And uh, the question is, you know, the the space is pretty segmented and and fragmented, we can say. And there are solutions like all-in-one solutions trying to cover all stages of financial advice and uh, provide as many different options uh, for wealth managers. Uh, but, uh, and also there are, uh, there are more niche solutions which, focus, which are focused on, like, on financial planning or on risk uh, analysis or on reporting. So, um, how do you see your platform in this uh, landscape of uh, Wellstack solutions? So, what is it? So, where? How, how do you stand uh, against other solutions? Sure. So, so um, <clears throat> you know it, exactly. You know the words you used that I honed on, that I honed in on was fragmented, right? And mm -hmm. then the other ones where there's uh, it's the the all-in-one solution. You know, I I've. I've been there. I've seen that. I've I've gotten the T-shirt across all of those fragmented solutions, and I've seen what people are calling their singular solutions. And um, they're still they're they're somewhat even if the 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 all-in-ones are still are still segmented. They're they're tied together and they're fragmented. There's there's no singular process because I think the issue in the industry has been that there's never been the combination of a large firm like an investnet who who is dedicated to building out insurance and saw the value of insurance to their clients that you really have the opportunity to say how does insurance and how do annuities fit into all those aspects of the fragmented market today and what's the right way to put those together so that the advisor's desktop the place where that advisor does their business today is mm -hmm. the place where you'll fit into that ecosystem so 
if you look at classic, uh, you know, all the well-known you know firms that are in those siloed environments, you know, a link on a desktop is not is not a seamless integration or it's not a seamless activity to where the advisor it all comes back into that desktop. So, you know, we you know at FedEx we're huge believers in that we don't need to own the skin. Right. Our job is to make sure that we have the right strategy around APIs, around embedded UIs, and around the ability to offer data, rules, and UIs at a service level mm-hmm. to a wealth management platform that already has that advisor as a captive, uh, as a captive uh, client. Right. Because the, the advisor sees the value in being able to manage their entire book. They don't want to go out to, to, different platforms and different systems. Right? They want to have the ability that if they use a Money Guide Pro or an eMoney or all the other financial planning processes, once they come to a recommendation, they want to act on it. Right? They don't want to wait you know, five days or 10 days and go through a paper app submission and figure out where is everything with the carrier. They want to act. Mm-hmm. And they want to act in an, in, an, in an aspect that's efficient. So where we also provide is based on what we're doing, we really are in the driver's seat to have a significant impact on the amount of not in good order or NIGO mm-hmm. applications and processes in the insurance space, right? So we, have, we enable the advisor in their back office to reduce the number of manual touches. We allow the carrier to reduce the number of manual touches. We're reducing the amount of, of noise in the system, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, f- for us, we, we love being, you know, we always call ourselves insurance inside. Um, we love that because, you know, what that does is it, it puts us in the ability to become part of the engine to facilitate those processes in that seamless fashion. So so I, I think what we're doing is revolutionary in the aspect of no one's had the ability to do this in today's world, in, in, in the world today, in, in either wealth tech or fintech. They've come close in areas, but they've never had the ability to kind of to stand behind the scenes and be the facilitator of that. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, so another question is... Uh, as we discussed, uh, the wealth tech uh, uh, landscape is, pre- is is pretty fragmented, but uh, the uh, the strategy of many companies is to do as many integrations as possible, or at least to do the strategic integrations that they see, and also provide the API themselves to let the other solutions in, uh, integrate with themselves, depending on the business model. So what uh so the question is so what the what is your strategy regarding integrations and developing apis yourself and providing them for third parties and uh, maybe you can name a couple of major integrations that you have done um right great so uh, so so our 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 strategy uh, API or otherwise is one of consistency and singularity. So we are, we are, we're founded. The, the beauty about the insurance industry is it has strong foundations in a lot of standards that everyone's adopted. So if you think of Accord, right, it's a standard data format. You have standard XML type mm-hmm. formats. You think of things like the DTCC where they have standard data formats. Since those are out there, there's very little variance, right? In PPFAs, which is the product profile for annuity. Since those are out there, the fact that we conform to those means that the carriers don't have to do additional lift to build to a new standard. If you look at a lot of the wealth tech and fintech solutions that are out there, since they don't have the critical relationships with, with a lot of the partners we have, 
they end up having to build modeling tools where they have to go some other aspect. But the, the depth of the knowledge base inside of FedEx allows us to basically to build out an ar architecture that's it's based on industry standards. So that then leads to a singular API strategy. So our API strategy, for example, for a, an issuance process for a policy, it would be the same whether I integrate into InvestNet or I integrate into any other wealth management platform because it's based on the foundation of, 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 of what's in those standard formats, right? So I, so I have the ability that I don't need to do, um, I don't have client version one, client version two, client version three. You know, there, there's no need to really create very client-specific versions. So as I look at how I offer product, so the annuity products, so the actual the aspects of what's the name of the, you know, the basic things like the, the name of the carrier, the name of the product, the features and functions, we also have added in supplemental what we'll call, you know, attributing data to where we take the product data and now we fit it into the lens of financial planning. So if you think of the way financial planning looks at things, I'm planning for retirement, I'm planning for an estate, I'm planning for uh, you know, leaving money to my heirs or education, we now start to frame product into that. So we've done the adaptation on our side so that we can have a consistent API strategy out to to the clients. And then the other aspect is, from an API perspective, Swagger document is excellent, right? Everyone, it's the, it's a standard of the industry, but when someone picks it up, you don't get out of that, what's the business function? What is this API solving? What's the purpose of it? We've taken a step further and we add that to our documentation. So if you were to subscribe to our API, our APIs and discover them, not only would you get the technical integration method and the data that you pass and how do you call the APIs, but you also get the business understanding that says this API solves for the policy issuance process. Here's what each step inside of this API does. What are the features? What are the functions? What's the business value? So we believe that Integration is also about providing business value, not just a point-to-point a -point technology handoff. So, you know, given the fact that we've got standards, given the fact of our knowledge base inside of our organization, we've, our APIs, are, there's a very consistent feel, look, and integration method to use those in the industry. All right. All right. So thank you for the answer. And um, so let's discuss the following topic. Uh, uh, about the uh, how to structure the team of uh, how to structure engineering team and uh, there are a couple of questions um, so it's very important to structure the engineering team in most efficient way depending on the scope of work on you know the size of the uh, product or solution that you deliver and uh, other factors. Uh, so what's, what's your experience here? Um, like uh, with smaller teams, with larger projects and teams. Uh, so what's your approach? So what, what would you name like main uh, things that should be taken into account when you, when you build your uh, engineering team? Sure, yep. So, so you know, in, in uh, you know, part of, Part of the luxury, and I think what's the, the, the exciting aspect of what we're doing is we have the ability to build out the organization in the way that we've learned from everything from, you know, Fortune 50 down to other startup experiences. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we structured it in a manner to where we, we believe there's a significant need to have, uh, we have an architecture team, right? And that architecture team 
is not just some team that sits out to the left and builds PowerPoints and develops standards, but they're really the hands-on team that is out there doing code reviews. They're the ones that are making sure that um, active and dynamic code scanning is taking place and that we're looking for vulnerabilities and that the code that's being promoted through the processes is uh, meets all of our controls and our standards, right? And they're not overbearing, but then they they'll they bring the team together. You know, based on our size, we've we've uh, we also have then our own DevOps team, which is really focused on care and the management of our security model and our infrastructure. So we're uh, we're an Azure we're an Azure based uh, environment. So that team takes care of everything there from a security perspective, and we've got, you know. From a from a minimum viable product perspective, we have all the right controls in place. So we have separation of duties. We have the we have where you know no one has the keys to the kingdom, right? So we're making sure that it's not the wild west to where you know we protect against bad actors outside and we protect against bad actors inside. So you know all of those key things that from a, a cyber perspective and from a controls perspective we have in place. And then on the application development side, you know, we're really focused on a, um, you know, what I'll call, we're very agile and pod type based. Mm-hmm. So everything we do is agile. Everything that uh, is done is managed through a backlog management. You know, we use uh, Jira as one of our active tools to manage backlog and manage uh, the sprints and how things get factored into that and how they get sized. And then from there, we have, you know, areas that have very specific focus and where there's, uh, singularity uh in terms of the, de- the delivery like we have a product store where we maintain product that is a, its own team once we then once we get into areas where apis we look at things and say okay where's where's the integration or the interconnectivity those teams there's more of a larger service work peer, a, aspect to those to where there are people that are now inside of, of, of that front-to-back process because the last thing that we want to do is build exactly what's in the industry today, which is a team that's focused on uh, product, a team that's focused on new business, a team that's focused on account and opening, a team that's focused on transactions. So those resources tend to be fluid across the group. And then um, our development team actually, you know, we have a great way that we bring people in. We have this boot camp approach to where, Everybody who comes in their first two weeks, whether you're a developer or you're a senior vice president of technology, you get put into the QA group and you're running test cases, you're on bug calls, you're on project calls, you get full exposure as to what are we actually doing, what's the product. Because I think it's really important from, an, from whether you're an app developer, a QA, or a project manager, you have to understand the platform that you're working on in its totality. Then when you're there and you're working and you have an API for uh, data. You can look at that and say, I saw this in a platform. I know that this data is going to find its way to reporting. I know this data is going to find its way to transactions. And I know this data is going to find its way to uh, you know, research. So giving people a holistic view of what we're doing really, I think, adds value from a development perspective that mm-hmm. now they can start moving across those different aspects. And as they look at their development work that goes onto their plate, they think wider than just what they're actually trying to to feature there. So, you know, our so our API development group really is kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, almost a pooled approach to where someone can work based on things. We can actually move people from from area to area because they have that understanding of of the of the platform from from front to back. Is that helpful? Yeah, certainly, certainly, it's very interesting. 
um, you know, to learn the actual experience, how to how to structure the teams and what is the what is uh, what is the approach different companies uh, because we we have found I mean like we we have uh, identified that this is the most uh, uh, you know uh, the the most interesting question that uh, everybody wants to discuss and to understand uh, uh, how to do it better and uh, also you know in the relation to this question. Uh, uh, so what what metrics, if you use any, uh, do you use to measure the performance of your engineering team? And not only the team, maybe each specific team member, the whole team, the part of the team, maybe depending on the, you know, again, the structure of your team. Uh, so do you have any kind of metrics? What are they? So what's your experience here? Sure. Yep. So, so, um, so I am a huge fan of structure at the level that you need it. So what we have not done is put an incredibly heavy structure in place just for the sake of having it. So mm -hmm. our structure, you know, everything that we do is, is, is based on, so we manage, you know, Jira is really our enterprise management tool. We use, you know, we use agile, we use service desk. <clears throat> that gives us a single point to look at everything from here's, here's, here's when, uh, uh, the intake process. So when we get requirements, how does that drive its way into epics? How does that drive its way into backlog, into projects? So then working its way with the development team to how does that get assigned to resources, to tracking? So so we have 100% uh, visibility into uh, scope management, into the sizing effort, into the, the insertion into uh, the sprints. We also then have the ability to say this was sized as a three-day, five-day, or this would fit in one sprint. What was the actual output? Because everyone's logging in then, you know, when things are completed and it goes to the QA area. As we manage defects in that process, those also tie back to those. So we have full accountability and, and, and traceability back to requirements and epics and, and, uh, and what the actual developer is working on. So we have pretty clear visibility and we use that to do our dashboard. So we can look at our ability to deliver functionality in a sprint over quarter, over week, we have the ability to, to say, you know, here are the, you know, and, and we don't use them as, as, a, as a way, as a stick, we use them as a guiding tool, right? So as we see that certain resources might be slower than others, we take that as a training opportunity. And we, and we are very, we're so hyper-focused on culture and the DNA of our, of our team that we always look to bring people up to speed as to where they are and really try and understand where their sweet spot is. You know, we, we uh, so, so those tools allow us to do that across a couple of different, uh, different aspects of our business. You know, our classic versioning control tools also uh, give us insight into, you know, how code's being promoted on what frequency. And then we have very strong controls around our release management process and our promotion process. So we can look at, uh, you know, the amount of code that was, was, was put into that release, what type of testing was required, the, the, you know, the size of, of the defects. And then we can start doing more analysis based on what we've put into a release size and feature and function. What's our experience in terms of the promotion and the actual success of UAT to, to, to production. So you know, it's a right size level of metrics. Once again, and it allows us to build as we go and add more as as need be. And then the same thing around the tools in the in the infrastructure space. 
we have a tremendous uh, number of items going on in terms of looking at service uptime. We have, uh, you know, predictive uh, processes and the ability to do automatic throttling. So everything around server, around service, response time allows us to get more predictive versus. So, so we're in that yellow green light management versus red light management where we get alerts when something breaks or goes down. And, and our carrier partners hold us to a high standard. So, you know, we have a requirement to report and we provide visibility to our clients around our service availability, around, you know, how things are going. So in a transparent environment, uh, nobody, everyone knows that everyone's being held to that, to that same level of thing, which, which I think helps us in a, in a, in a reporting perspective because people want to get the information back in the process. So, um, you know, we feel really good about that level of, of tool. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so another question I have is, so you mentioned already um, regarding the technical depth that, you know, this, uh, we, we, uh, we know that uh, when you have a software in place for a number of years and uh, if it is a successful business, uh, you will have, anyway, you will have some kind of legacy software and uh, you will have uh, some level of technical depth in it. Uh, and uh, there is also, uh, and, and you also need to find the, the right balance whether to solve the technical depth issues and predict what should be done for future. Uh, but this, this doesn't add uh, additional business value and you can't, uh, when, when you spend your effort for solving the technical depth. Uh, so what's, uh, what's your approach finding this balance between developing the actual functionality uh, that is required by your clients and delivering the business value and solving the technical depth issues? So. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great question. And, and I'm, 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 I'm giggling inside because we just, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's the question of balancing. You know what you know, you know what you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much time you spend researching, you are going to solve a problem in a manner that six months from now, you're going to look back, you're going to scratch your head and say, my God, what were we thinking? Mm -hmm. um, so we, we actually just, you know, had that, you know, that, that issue. And I think what's really interesting, and it's actually pretty cool, um, you know, wh what we're doing today, and I use that word revolutionary purposefully, you know, there are things that we are solving for as we, you know, as you think of these two galaxies coming together right and not colliding and exploding but two galaxies coming together and creating a harmonic convergence right investment ecosystem and insurance ecosystem we're in the middle there trying to make sure that there's there's no violent collisions so some of the things that we're coming across are things that neither side in, in either side of the industry has ever thought about right so we're solving problems that nobody knew so when we get to that point, it's inevitable that you'll take an approach to solve something around, um, say, the way you structure products and investment options. And then three months later, you say, oh, boy, that, that didn't work because now when I try and promote product, uh, I've, I've got this issue where someone has to manually get involved and do this type of data map. So, you know, there you go. Technology, technology debt, right? The, the real, the new business value three months later shows that you had a gap. So right now we actually, what we look at and to, to your point, it's what's the business value. 
we actually look at the technology debt and we say, what's the impact of not solving this? And we say, you know, as we grow and we scale, we're going to have to, maybe there's no additional business value, but I've got to grow my staff by 20%, right? So, so I don't get the ability to scale and leverage the technology and reduce my human capital costs. So what we do is we look at that and say, all right, let's play this forward six months from now and we have a hundred products on platform. What's the impact? Can we keep up? Can we meet our SLAs? So we we take the technology debt that we've created and we value it against those types of things, right? What's the impact to revenue? What's the impact to cost? What's the impact to SLAs? And what's the impact to the business being being executed in a timely fashion? And then we will take that out and we'll say, here's what it is. And then once we look at the solution that's in place, we say, okay, what's this going to take to implement? And now what's the impact to the current roadmap, current release strategy? And then we factor that into the, to the process. So, you know, we really do try to look at the technology debt and say, what are the impact to those various areas? And then we, we consciously will take an effort and, and it might require a, a, a ramp up. It's the pay me now, pay me later. We actually, we may ramp and spend more now to solve the technology de- debt because you know maybe I spend fifty thousand dollars today, but that's going to save me two hundred thousand dollars over the next two years. So we we go through a very structured analysis and we purposely look at it because you know to the point you said earlier, we don't want to get into a point within the next three years to where we have a lot of legacy and a lot of technology debt because our goal is to build a foundational platform that's highly extendable. So if you look at data reporting, I want to get to artificial intelligence and machine learning. So I don't want to just build a standard data, you know, a star schema with facts and dimensions. I want it to be built in a fashion that's going to enable what the future state is. And that's continually what we do with uh, peace. And, And if we don't have enough knowledge around what we're building, we will defer that functionality until we can get the right level of knowledge. So we are really good at saying we don't know what we don't know, and we think that's significant. And and given our relationship with a lot of our carrier partners, you know, we, we also have a great luxury that we can engage the best and the brightest in the, the industry to help us solve these problems. So it's not just FedEx; it's FedEx and all of its partners. So it's a very collaborative environment to where we bring together, you know, seven or eight of the titans in the industry, and we solve that problem. And that way we can avoid in some aspects, some, some of those areas of technology that, so, you know, we're not just the take the order company. We're strategically thinking about where do we continually go with the platform? All right. All right. Thank you. And uh, so um, my next question is, uh, so let's discuss a little bit the, the, your experience about the data, data processing as soon as you you know you consume uh, in your system you consume data from carriers and you need to process it so and we find uh, we have found it uh, you know rather challengeable sometimes uh, to get the you know like clean data and you need to verify this data and uh, so what's what's your experience like consuming data and then processing the data what are the major uh, things that need to, uh, to be taken into account when you architect your system uh, to process, you know, big amounts of data from different data sources, storing the system. Yep. And the- sure. Yeah. So, so the so the good news is <clears throat> is that obviously there's consistency in the data that I'm getting from you know whether it's my carrier partners or other partners, mm-hmm. um, and what we've built is you know 
this is where I think the knowledge of the team really comes into play. So, you know, my, my, my management team or what I'll call my product owners, owners, you know, some of them have, you know, 15, 20 years of experience doing nothing but working with carriers as it relates to conversions and implementations. And the reason I bring that up is because when you work on policy conversions, you know of all the things that get swept under the carpet, the carpet or shoved into the, into the, the closet. They say, ah, we'll worry about it later. So we were able to to build a bunch of, you know, what we'll call data adapters and processing rules based on our industry knowledge, right? So as you get data, looking for, you know, building out the rules around what's hard stop, what's soft stop, right? How do you reconcile data on a day-to-day basis? We have a, we have a, a, a great uh, environment right now. We're getting data on a daily basis, you know, in, in, mo- in a lot of environments, you know, whether it's a broker dealer or other, or other uh, consumers of carrier data, they may get data on, or frequently they get data on a less frequent basis. Mm-hmm. So the reconciliation process can become daunting, right? Trying to reconcile what happened during that week or what happened when a carrier reversed and reprocessed transactions. Since we're getting daily data, for us, it's, there's a, it's a lot easier to reconcile that data and look for variance. So, you know, <clears throat> we've built a lot of standard variance rules, you know, and in a lot of cases, things that we've learned in conversions, right? So if, if I get a value today that's 50% less than yesterday and there was no transaction that allows that difference to be reconciled, flag that and raise that up. Um, so a lot of the, the gotchas, you know, we don't just take the data and, and, and look at it and say, you know, the header record and the footer record say there's 110 records and here's the sums in those columns. We go deeper. We say, is the data reasonable for what we've gotten? Just because, just because, just because the counts match and the, the the totaling or that footer record match, doesn't mean that what you have inside is 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 necessarily there's any issues with it. So, we've worked very diligently with our carrier partners to set up those rules, and that process in terms of notification. We've also put in, uh, uh, you know, things that uh, others aren't doing around. When, sh- when we should be getting data and when we don't get data, right? So the SLAs around, my expectation was I was going to receive something five days from, you know, or today, which was five days from, you know, five days, but that's confusing. I should be getting something in five days from today based on the event that I just captured. And when that data doesn't come, we actually notify the carrier and say, uh, hey, carrier, we were expecting this widget to come over and we didn't get it. You know, w- w- it's something we need to look into. So, that that mentality of not just waiting to get what you get, but an expectation of what we should be getting when. So we've built an engine around a lot of past history and experience that you know really um, I think is, is it, it's it's an a testament to the the knowledge and the industry experience of our team to 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 build out that type of approach. But you know you're always going to have those issues regardless of whether that data is sent to the same data sent to 500 different parties. Um, you know just because we're getting potentially the same data, we're still looking at it and doing some forensic analysis before we consume it and say, good to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So thank you. It's really interesting. And uh, so I have a few, uh, few more questions. Um, so as a CTO of the company, uh, you need to you know, tackle many different things uh, through the day. So actually the, the question is, so do you use any kind of time management technique yourself to manage your time to manage uh, how do you manage your your tasks how do you prioritize them how you plan them 
So do you have any approach here? It will be interesting to, to know. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, that to me, you know, we talked about what's the difference between a CTO in, you know, my environment versus a CTO in a, in a Fortune, you know, 100 or 500. Uh, I, I have no assistant. Um, I, uh, I, I don't have a list of management meetings that I go to. I get pulled every day. Uh, you know, in every every direction. So balance is a, is a, is is probably the greatest uh, mm -hmm. thing that I have to solve for. So um, I am uh, I'm pretty relentless. Um, and some people think uh, sometimes I'm a little overbearing, but you know I'm, I'm very big on uh, making sure that I schedule meetings with five minute gaps in between and shutting those meetings down on time and making sure that efficiently that things are being managed and captured. Mm -hmm. um, I, I use, you know, right now, Microsoft is, is my best friend. So I use, uh, you know, calendar, I use, I use action, I use my, the follow-ups, I, I, and I proactively schedule things in the, in the, in the future that, you know, make sure I have things. But I also set aside time, I block off my calendar first thing in the morning and first, and then last thing in the day. And I, I go through a daily reconciliation process. Right. So I almost get very scrum with myself. Right. What do we have to accomplish today? What are the big things? What? And then, you know, knowing that there's the unknown things that are going to kind of, you know, might sidetrack me during the day. So so I have a critical list every day that I have to get through that are immovable objects. And then at the end of the day, I reconcile that. I say, what did I set out to do today? How did I and I score myself? How did I do against that? And then what are the things that, you know, a critical defect came up or a critical carrier issue came up to where the thing I said I had to get done, I couldn't get done. So I make sure and then I adaptively move my, my calendar going forward. Um, the other thing is, is um, I, I empower my team that everyone is accountable and responsible to make the decisions that they can make. So, you know, when people come on board, we have a structure that says, here's where you are on the organization. Here's your ability to either dedicate the organization, dedicate the team, or dedicate yourself to make a decision during this process. Mm -hmm. And I make sure that I, I tell my, my management team that, you know, if you put me on an email, it's something that I have to act on. So I make sure that I do not get CC'd on every email around a bug that's going back and forth. So I think, you know, it's important to make sure I keep my management team and, and their people that report to them in check in terms of, you know, how much noise they put into into my day, so I, I they, and they understand that, right? They make they make sure that they only pull me in when when need be you know, into those critical those critical issues. So, you know, uh, so it, uh, every day I'm my own assistant. I also make sure that it's it's critical for me on a daily basis to making sure that I start the day off. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what has to get done, and at the end of the day, I reconcile and make sure that my my rest of my week goes there. And then, you know, from a strategic perspective, um, you know, I own platform strategies, so. Um, I'm very good at getting ahead to make sure that I have a very diligent structure. You know, I have a lot of program management and very large enterprise engagement level. So I know what it means to have to serve, you know, serve multiple masters. So I make sure that I'm carving time out from a relationship perspective and then also from a vision perspective to hit the dates I have to hit to make sure that the roadmap keeps moving itself, you know, forward on a quarter by quarter basis. All right, all right. So thank you, thank you. So few last questions. Um, so the, the other question I have: So how do you learn? So what are the what works for you the best? Like reading, attending conferences, maybe talking to other experts in the area. So what's uh, or maybe listen yep. to podcasts or something. 
what works for you the best? Um, so, so I think there's a couple things there. Um, one, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of knowledge transfer. Mm-hmm. So as part of, you know, I, I talked about that boot camp where, you know, everybody who comes in, new person comes in, you know, they go through that platform acclimation, then they eventually, you know, they migrate into their role. Um, I'm, I'm in our Berwyn office on a regular basis. And um, I will go through when there's, uh, you know, new people have started, I will bring them into a room and spend an hour with them. And I will impart onto them the vision, the history of the company, the vision that we have, uh, the importance of the role they play, uh, how things fit together, right? Uh, talk and, 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 you know, transfer the knowledge. Uh, I got to make sure that if I get hit by a bus, that, that the day moves on, right? And I also, I tell my management team, you got to make sure that when you get hit by the bus, the, 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 the day moves on. So mm-hmm. very big on, on proactive knowledge transfer. We, um, we do a lot. I hold my, everyone on my team, including myself, accountable that we do. Uh, uh, right now, we're doing weekly lunch and learns because we're in such a high development area. So everybody comes in once a week, we bring in a ton of pizza and a group will do a, you know, a 45 minute presentation on what are they doing? What are they, what's their mandate? What are they accountable for? What does it mean to the greater organization? And, you know, if you want to get involved, here's how you can get involved. Um, You know, I'm involved in a lot of industry events, um, whether it's with partner conferences, you know, this week I'm out at a partner conference. Um, I've been involved in, you know, industry groups like the IRI. Um, and, you know, we really think it's important that we're, we're there, right? Because we want to make sure that we have active participation and make that when the industry changes, that we're influencing the, the changes in that industry. So, you know, from that perspective, it's, it's active knowledge transfer. It's, it's, you know, these lunch and learns. Uh, it's also, we have a, we, uh, we've built out a confluence site and we make sure that all of this material is out there. So it's accessible. And it's usable by everyone on, on the team. So I'm very big on, you know, FAQ type aspects as well. So, you know, and then from my perspective, um, you know, uh, I, I love to read, right? One of the books that I just got through, uh, which I've actually, we gave copies out to our team is The Platform Revolution by Jeffrey Parker. Okay. And, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, because from our, our team's perspective, we, we need people to think about we're a network, right? We're a platform. And then as you look at things like Amazon and Google and others, you know, there's a lot to learn there. So we're very big on pushing our organization to, to kind of get out there and, and understand, you know, case studies and, 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 you know, management overviews of, of what, what worked, what didn't work and, and, you know, how are things, you know, progressing in the industry. I also push my teams like my development leaders to uh, continue on certifications and active engagement. My head of security is uh, getting his ethical hacking uh, certificate this week coming up. So, you know, we, we challenge people. It's, I think it's really important in, in this kind of hints on, you know, culture. Um, you know, our, the DNA of our organization, I can't tell you how critical it is, right? Someone who is the smartest person in the world, but doesn't match our culture will not do as well as somebody who's got 80% of that person's capability, but is a hundred percent match, right? When you have people that are of like mind and like principles, they will do things together that you will not get with getting people that are very smart but not matched from a personality perspective. So, you know, I'm, we're, we're, we're pushing forth a culture that where everyone has that capability. So where I've got a person who's on the help desk, we want them to feel that we care about what they're becoming with their career. 
and and where they they want to pass. Um, so you know that it's really important that we 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 foster that environment in, amongst the whole organization. All right. Yeah. So thank you, and uh, it's it's really great what you do uh, regarding the learning and and uh, knowledge transfer. Uh, because I also a big believer in knowledge transfer and that you need to spread it across your team. Um, so thank you. Uh, and few last questions. So uh, what communication tools do you use? Like, and what do you prefer? Like talking in person and uh, maybe for different reasons, you can prefer different tools. Um, so what's, what are they? Um, so I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and called me old school of, uh, <clears throat> of interpersonal communication. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. So I, 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 uh, anybody who knows, <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> anybody who knows me, uh, will generally have a bet on how fast in a meeting I go to the whiteboard and I pick up a marker. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a visual person. I believe that, you know, drawing pictures, diagrams and conveying information through things that are easily consumable, uh, is important and then you know and giving people artifacts versus just talking about things and saying go do it so um you know i'm very big on that um you know i i, I like this concept of almost like you know there's a floor general right mm -hmm. like so a project manager needs to be on their feet you know I, I like to manage my my status and understand what people are doing at the coffee machine or in the cafeteria or by the pizza boxes okay. right you get you, you you get people in an environment where they feel relaxed they don't look at you as the CTO. They look you as look at you as someone who's hungry. That's just getting their lunch, and I make it very conversational, right? It's it's uh, that's how you get what's how are people feeling? How are they ticking? You know what what's important to them. Um, I'm also very big. You know when I do communicate, you know via uh, whether it's you know emails or or things. Once again, that principle follows its way through. Uh, I like entity relationship diagrams. I don't like schema. I don't, I like those with, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, A has a relationship with B, B does this for C, C can do this many things, you know, getting people uh, conceptual to logical to physical is really kind of the way, the way I, I like to go. So um, when I communicate, I like to bring it at a conceptual level, make sure they understand the concept, take it to a logical, what does that mean? And then they can take it to physical to say, here's how I'm going to go do that. So you know, that's, it's, uh, that, those are my preferred methods of, of communication. All right. Thank you. And the last question is, what is the uh, most motivating and interesting part of your job? And what do you think is the most boring part of your job? Uh, uh, this, everything about what we do is just wicked fun. Um, mm -hmm. I can't think of a, a better organ. I can't think of an organization where I've had more fun where I've had more opportunity to grow, even in my own career. I've been at this for 30 years. And uh, if I tell everyone that comes on board, it was serendipitous. It seems like everything I've done in my career led up to this moment to start this company and to do what I'm doing now. Um, you know, all the pain, suffering, joy, and, uh, and success that I've, I've had in my career has really brought us here. So everything about what I do, I think is, is just a great opportunity to help move the industry and and really satisfy this this gigantic gap in the way things are happening today um mm -hmm. and 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 that's the fun part and it's also the most challenging part right because we've got to change 
uh, we have to change perception. We have to change the way, you know, the, education is big in this. It's not just about, to me, the technology is the easy stuff, right? It's behavioral change that's always the challenge. And the, 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 for us, the, the, the greatest opportunity is to be able to take technology and move it into a, this is why it's going to make your practice, your practice better. This is why it's going to make your home office more efficient. This is where you're going to be able to now focus on more client interactions, right? Taking technology and humanizing it. That is the greatest opportunity. I think that that confronts us uh, in, in what we do. I have all the classic challenges. I got to find all the right people 10 days before anybody else can find them because you know, the, the, the resource market is very tight right now for great talented people. Um, I'm not a huge fan of stealing people, right? I want people to feel like they're coming to us because of what we're doing versus they're out looking for a job and they happen to land on us. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, so those, those aspects are, you know, we're confronted with the same industry, uh, challenges as everyone else. Um, you know, I think, some of the other the other aspect is uh, I love to sit back and there's times when I'm in I'll be in our Berwyn office and I just smile because you walk out there and you see 30 people that they're literally moving together right and when one person moves out to the left somebody inevitably walks out and pulls them back in right or they say why did you move to the left and they say this is where we need to be and here's why everybody moves to the left so we've got this. Uh, this it's such a highly dynamic, uh, interactive, open environment with such transparency. Uh, it's it's great. That being said, it's also another challenge because you know uh, we get people who are very passionate about what they do, and we have people that are all born leaders. So um, you know sometimes you got to get in there and facilitate uh, a couple of them to the to the right solution. But you know honestly, at the end of the day, it's a uh, it's a it's a it's just a it's a wild ride. And, uh, you know, as I always tell people when they join, I say, buckle up. And uh, it's, it's, it's really great because, you know, we have the opportunity to watch people grow. You know, we're bringing a lot of young people on board that are just hungry, they're passionate, and they're really intelligent. And watching them grow in their knowledge base and fit into the team is just, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very satisfying moment as a, you know, as a, as a leader. The ability to help coach people and, and help them realize their potential is uh, yeah, it's probably one of the biggest benefits of the job.